Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Brave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. I'm Richard Gay, Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and with me are Associate Deans Ashley Allen and Joanna Hersey. Joining us from the UNC Pembroke Art Department is Associate Professor and Director of both our undergraduate and graduate art education, Dr. Naomi Lifshitz-Grant. Get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. Good afternoon, Dr. Grant. Thank you so much for joining us today. I was hoping we could start out with you talking a little bit about uh, your research and also your roles at UNCP. Okay. There's actually two aspects of my research. One is my academic research for education, which is based in art education research. And then the second area of my, my scholarly research is really based on my own artistic practice. So it's quite a balancing act trying to kind of um, balance both avenues of which I love to do. I was hired as the undergraduate um, program coordinator for the art education program. I inherited the graduate art education program the past, I think I've been in that role for the past two years. And actually that has been a joy for me to work with the graduate students. You know, the, their, their level is really high. They're out in the field working, they're practicing art educators. Many of them are practicing artists. So they just bring a lot of insight and inspiration to me and to the program and even to the undergraduate program students as well, because some of our classes are, are mixed classes and, and they have really raised the level of the whole program is um, working with the graduate students. And also because many of them are on such a high level, so curious about the world and the art education world, I have involved them in, in my own research and they're my collaborators now. I was sent a proposal for a book based on social justice and art education and contemporary artists. And I invited some of my graduate students to collaborate with me and two of our chapters were accepted for publication and we've been working on these chapters this summer. One is based on migration and immigration in art education classrooms. And the other one is based on contemporary artists and dialogue um, in the art education classroom, mainly amongst, amongst graduate students. So this has been a really exciting opportunity for me to work with students who I can collaborate and I can learn with in my research. And this summer, um, I'm going to be working with the immigration migration group, and we're going to try and write a scholarly article based on the book chapter. So we're going to take it a step further, possibly get IRB proposal, and I'm meeting with those students next week to see, you know, how we're going to kind of further this investigation for the art education aspect of research. What you're doing is so incredibly important because your your collaborations with those graduate students and the undergraduates truly help uh, welcome them into the academy of higher ed studies, right? 
as you said, you are benefiting from it as well, but they, I'm sure they're learning a lot. They're learning the research processes. They're learning how to get something published, how to negotiate with publishers, what types of fees that might be involved. Uh, I know the Dean's office has supported image fees and the like for some publications that you've done. So uh, it's really great work. So thank you for, for all of that. Yeah, and I think that they, you know, also benefit by um, adding their voice to the conversation. So Absolutely. they know that their voice isn't just happening with their students in their classrooms or even in their schools, but it's they have a wider voice and they can um, disseminate their knowledge to the wider field and have an impact. And that impact is really felt by them. And they've all proposed to present these projects to at the North Carolina Art Education Professional Development Conference. And some of them have proposed to do some of their projects at the National Art Education Association, NAEA National Conference. So that's a really exciting opportunity for them to meet other art educators who are doing scholarly research and to be part of that larger dialogue beyond, you know, Robeson County or Cumberland County, whatever counties they're in, in North Carolina, but across the nation. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity. And I think that art teachers often feel really isolated because oftentimes they're the only teacher in the class, in the school teaching their content area, right? So they don't have that everyday collaboration. You know, when you're teaching in an elementary school, there's usually maybe four other first grade teachers that you can talk to and collaborate with and get feedback. So this opportunity for them to meet other art educators that are on the same level and care about the same thing is a great opportunity for them to get feedback and, you know, ideas and share what's going on. And they need that support, ongoing support. Absolutely. It's invaluable, those uh, relationships and just having a sounding board for your ideas. Those are invaluable for all of our personal development, and it adds to the enjoyment of our jobs, I think, as well. For our listeners who aren't so familiar with our MAT program, could you explain just a little bit about how most of our graduate students, or perhaps all of the grad students, are actually already teachers in the schools? Could you share some of that with us? Yeah, sure. Of course, the past two or so years, um, the Department of Public Instruction in North Carolina, it's called DPI, offered education programs, education preparation programs, which are housed in universities, the opportunity to license teachers. So these teachers get jobs at public schools, but they don't have a permanent license. So they're offered a temporary license because they do not have a degree in their field of education. In the arts, these are usually students who, you know, majored in studio art as an undergraduate or graphic design or art history and have that content area expertise but they don't have the pedagogy expertise and classroom experience. So they're hired by public school, and then they have to enroll in what's called a residency program. So these residency programs, they used to be housed in an external office by the Department of Public Instruction, but now they're housed in universities. So these students, these teachers affiliate with the university 
and join a residency program. And our residency program is an MAT program, a master's in art and teaching program. So we give them that pedagogical background so they are more equipped to teach in the classroom. So all of the MAT students, or the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them are teaching full-time in the classroom and they're coming to the university after school, at night, over the summer, and getting that those education classes done. And this is why I like working with these students so much because they bring that real life experience back to the classroom and we can unpack it and look at theories and how theories might relate to it and so on. And this also really does help those undergraduate students in those smaller classes where, that are mixed, um, where we have both undergraduate and graduate students because the undergraduates are hearing those real life experiences and problems that our teachers are facing and they are more prepared then to enter into their own classrooms when they do that in their student teaching or their field observations or whatever. So the students usually take between, depending on how many classes they can take per semester, they usually finish up between 18 months and two and a half years, but they have three years to, to finish their coursework and get their degree. So the program has grown a lot during the past two years because the state has given EPPs the residency program, which is great. So they're, they're not taking classes at a mixed mosh of institutions. They're taking it at one institution and really get to develop relationships and get the support and resources from the university. That's really wonderful. It also speaks to the dedication of uh, teachers in the public schools because it's, it's a lot to work full-time and continue your education at the same time. So kudos to all of the public school teachers out there who are often doing double duty. So I want to give them a shout out there. Yeah, plus they're new teachers, so they're tired. <laughs> they're also <laughs> dealing with exhaustion. <laughs> the first few years of teaching are always the most exhausting. So really kudos to them. Dr. Grant, I love hearing about the collaborative nature of this aspect of your research, but I'm also super interested in your studio work and that that research. How does that, well, first of all, I might be making an assumption that that is a more solo endeavor, but yeah. okay. And then, so how does that compare? I mean, does that balance you out in various ways because you are consumed in this um, other space with other art educators that you get to have that collaborative piece, but does the solo aspect offer something else? Definitely, like I need to have that solo experience just for me as a person, to fill me as a person. I, I actually, I mean, this is kind of going on a tangent, but before I started my doctoral work, I actually worked on a film. I was really interested in documentary filmmaking and um, I took a couple classes in documentary film and I ended up meeting other filmmakers and I was put on this project and I was working collaboratively with a group of people producing this film and I was working on editing. And the experience of collaborating was really challenging for me as an artist because I, I wasn't in control. And I had to consider what other people thought. I had to look to the director for direction. I couldn't go off on my own tangents as much as I had hoped to or I'd want to. 
And the process made me really uncomfortable, that creative process of collaborating. So, you know, ultimately I, you know, started off as a painter and I've come back to painting. Um, so I feel just as creative work that I've dabbled in collaborative processes, but it definitely does not um, suit me as an artist to work collaboratively. And in fact, like with my educational research, I've always done that solo too. You know, I've always kind of been developing the project by myself and thinking about my methodology and my collaboration has been with the subjects itself, you know, because I'm doing qualitative research, ethnographic research in the classroom, working with teachers, working with students, working with families. So those are my collaborators, but when I'm actually analyzing the data or writing, that's a solo activity. So this time actually when inviting my students to collaborate with me has been the first time I've worked with students or with other people on research. And it's a whole new kind of avenue for me, which I'm finding really interesting. Because I, I've had the most experience when working with my students, I can kind of guide the projects. But since now that I feel like I'm getting my feet wet, that I could start maybe collaborating with some of my colleagues that it's always kind of been in the back. You know, when I see friends or colleagues at, at professional conferences, we're always like, oh yeah, let's work on a project together. But now I feel more confident that I could do it because I do like to be in control, honestly, but I think that having other voices in that educational aspect is positive. I could learn a lot from it, but in my own art and my own painting, it's really an activity that is solo because it's a quiet activity for me. It's a meditative activity for me. So I think that I need it, it nourishes me and I need that. Faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region forward. Our commitment to Southeast North Carolina has never been stronger through our teaching, our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uacc.edu.edu. Would you mind telling us about your series that you've been working on, Poppies to Pembroke? Yeah, so the series between like finishing my doctorate and having two children back to back and moving and starting this job, I really didn't paint for about maybe four or five years. And I was focused on my art education scholarly research because I felt like that should be a priority as far as my career goes. But on the long drives to Pembroke that I take several times a week, I just started, you know, like I'm a landscape painter, that's where my origin comes from. So looking at, you know, the landscape and light, and I'm really interested in that. In that. And my work always originates from the landscape. Sometimes it morphs into more abstract when I'm in my studio working um, and I'm thinking about those concepts of light and movement in the studio. 
but the work always originates from the landscape. So I'm driving to Pembroke um, several times a week and just observing the landscape and how it changes with the light, time of day, driving early in the morning, coming home at night, and also the seasons have a huge impact. But the drive is actually not a beautiful drive. You know, I'm passing a lot of large-scale farms, chicken farms, hog farms, gas stations. It's, you know, there's moments of beauty, but like just generally, it's not such a pleasant drive. It's a little bit boring too, because it's a monotonous, it's just right on the highway. But then I started to notice all these like really beautiful moments on the drives, like at certain seasons, there's these huge patches of flowers along the highway and it, it's just beautiful. And those poppies came up and that's where those paintings started from. So I hadn't painted in a while and I was thinking about it. And sometimes I would even stop and photograph the flowers or something that I saw that was beautiful. And these things, they, they were very inspiring to me because like, in this ugliness that I was seeing, I saw this moment, these moments of beauty, right? So I wanted to capture them and I thought about them a lot. So then I just was like, okay, I've got to start again. So I just got some canvases. I didn't even stretch the canvas, which I've never done before. I've always stretched my own canvas, but I was like, I'm not even doing that. I'm just going right to painting. So I got some large canvases and just started painting. And my first painting that I made out of the series was Poppies to Pembroke, about those beautiful red poppies on the way to Pembroke. And the work kind of just expanded, thinking about those observations from the car. And I started to make really some very large scale landscape ish paintings based on photographs or just memories too of, of that drive and the work has kind of really has evolved since that process since I have been able to make more time and space for working for making paintings I have a question about the series, right? Because uh, you've been working on a series of images, I believe, and you made a, an interesting point about finding these moments of beauty within these other areas that might not be so beautiful. So in your work, do you only focus on the beautiful moments along the way, or are you somehow creating um, have a contrast between the landscape as it changes on your route? For this series, I've mainly focused on, on what is beautiful, even if it derives from something that is ugly. So for instance, like in this painting I've been working on here, it was a cloudy day and overcast. So the light was really kind of like even all over. And I really like that kind of light. And I was behind a chicken truck and these feathers were just like swarming around my car. And I was, it was really beautiful. It was really, really like sublime. It was so beautiful oh, out of something like so awful and horrific because these chickens were being transported most likely to be slaughtered. And here was a moment that was just absolutely stunning to me. So, you know, that inspired me to make the painting. I don't know how it will evolve because I don't feel like it's finished, um, but it's it it is um it, it will probably change over time since i work very slowly so sometimes i have to sit with something for a really long time before i know what to do next to it but the work has 
has evolved a lot and has come into places where I feel very insecure about. I'm really pushing myself to like go with things that I feel uncomfortable about painting. What really stood out to me were billboards. They stood out to me because of what's going on, you know, politically in, in our country and, you know, religiously what's going on in our country. And I started to notice all these billboards that were proselytizing, right? God saves you, repent. And they affected me because, first of all, my perspective is I'm coming from a Jewish background and my Jewish culture and my Jewish heritage is always embedded in who I am as a person, not so much religiously, but culturally and um, how I see the world and my frame of reference. But I think it's also in a way flows into my work too. It's always been a bit of an undercurrent in my work. So I see these signs all around me and sometimes I get incredibly offended by them because I'm like, well, you know, like, what is this? Like, why, why are all these signs? And it's not recognizing, you know, all the other faiths in this country. And they're somewhat demeaning because they're saying like, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. But in my religion, we don't believe in Jesus, right? So it's somewhat controversial to me, somewhat frustrating to me to see these. So I decided to get inspiration from these signs and I'm very uncomfortable about this work and use words in my art. And this also comes from many years ago before I moved to North Carolina, I was working in my studio and I kind of got to an end of a series of paintings and I had never in my whole, you know, painting for 15 years, I had never felt blocked. I've always like one painting just followed the next, followed the next, followed the next. But I felt blocked and I didn't know what to do. And I just started to paint these word paintings using words as images, thinking about color and relationship and light and so on and so forth. I only painted like maybe four or five of these paintings and I kind of put them away because they made me too uncomfortable. But I have them in my house. They're not on the wall, but I have them. So occasionally I see them. And I just thought, you know what? I, I'm kind of curious about this work. And a friend, I was telling my friend about it and she said, well, why don't you just paint what you're doing now with this, you know, with the landscape, what I'm used to, what's very comfortable for me and also make, make these, you know, use words. And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense because doing something comfortable and uncomfortable. So I just got a sketchbook and started writing and I, I started to experiment with flash paint because I'm really inspired by color and I'm really interested in color and I've always just spent a lot of time mixing color. But as a person who has a full-time job, has children, you know, is juggling a, middle, a million things. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to mix colors anymore. I just want to experiment mm -hmm. with pre-made colors. So I bought these, um, this paint called flash paint and I use um, the grant money to, to pay for them. And they have amazing colors and it's hard to mix these colors. And I started to use them just on paper and started just to make very, very quick 
works of art kind of capturing these billboards that I saw or listening to the news, something that struck me, I would just jot it down or a book that I was reading, I would kind of jot it down. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about, you know, the history of the Jewish people and I've, you know, the history of the Jewish religion and so forth. And that has started to kind of fuel into my work as I kind of try and grapple with my own Jewish identity and where I come from and where I stand in that too. So I, it hasn't been figured out yet and I probably sound not very articulate about it, but it's where my work is going right now. One of the things that I've found so interesting about your comments and your reflection and your, you know, thinking about uh, your Jewish identity and and the community that you you engage with the idea of our promotion of multiculturalism or our interest in multiculturalism and seeing the world from different perspectives. So it's nice to see that you're you're thinking along these lines on both a personal level, but as a, a larger level as well in your work. So um, I look forward to seeing this series. I, I want to see the work now. I can show you a painting that, uh, so this is a series, this oh, was fun. from Those Sides Repent. But then I added in personal feelings. So, so in each of these kind of small panels, it says, repent. Each of us says something different. One is repent for slavery. And this was, I was listening to a lot of podcasts about like the history of state slavery and being in the South and what that means. Um, and then history, repent for, um, apartheid because I'm actually was born in South Africa and I was born in apartheid South Africa and I have very vivid memories of a as a child going to visit my grandparents and my uncles in South Africa during apartheid and I remember apartheid so that was one and then oh, this one says repent to, to save my soul and then the last one in, in this little, these panels is killing of the firstborn. And that comes from obviously the story of Passover and the 10 plagues. And the last of the 10 plagues in the story of Passover was killing of the firstborn. So killing of all the um, non-Jewish firstborn men in the land of Egypt. You know, thinking about what that means and thinking about you know, the significance of that, me as a Jewish person, and kind of grappling with, you know, and, and I believe that as far as, as me for Judaism, it's very important for me to be a very ethical person. And in, in the political climate right now, and we see people acting unethically, I believe, but our religious people, no matter what faith they're in, that is something that I find very troubling, right? And like even just thinking in my own religion, we as Jews have been persecuted so much. So it is our duty to treat people with respect and to live this ethical life, but not all Jews do. And I've had to, you know, I think about that. I grapple with that too. So that was based on these signs say repent, but what are we repenting for? Are we repenting? Do we repent for the way that we've treated African-American people and slavery? Do we repent for apartheid? Have we repented for that? 
Have we repented for the killing of the firstborn and has that saved my soul? If I do. So that's kind of a, a series and um, that I was thinking about through that, through those paintings. So I wish I had more time to paint. Yeah, I, I wish I, you did too, because those uh, are really compelling uh, topics that you're showing there. And also I see that in the colors that you've chosen um, in the compositions that you're doing, you can see that. So hopefully you can send us, uh, if you're ready to show them a, a picture of one of those or a couple of them and we can link to it sure. in the description below. For the color, you know, because I've, I always tend to use like the same kind of color scheme and like really strong opposite colors. And, you know, I just kind of like got lost in color. So in the paintings that I'm doing right now, I'm really trying to study color in a more academic way than really just thinking about like my intuition, like what I feel like I wanna paint this. I've been really uh, like looking at Joseph Albers work and he did have a show at the Contemporary Art Museum. It's across the street, The Bachelor, um, across the street from the Mint Museum. So I dragged my kids out to Charlotte one day and we went to go see this, this show. And um, I've really been looking at Joseph Albers um, color combinations in order to kind of make um, these series of paintings. And, and they're kind of going in two different directions. So I'm trying just to play with like color and how color kind of interacts with each other. And then I'm also playing, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the letters as, as shapes, not as form shapes, but as shapes and playing with like that concept of space and thinking about, well, if repent is in the center and it's the brightest color red or the strongest color in here, but these letters are behind it, I'm trying to kind of optically play with the, with the viewer's eyes. And then in another series, I, I did, I was listening to this, this podcast about the history of the Jewish people. And in this, in this series here, it's, it's, you know, the Jewish people are considered the chosen people. And what, what does that mean to be chosen? And in this series here, which I feel like these paintings are a little bit more subdued and quiet. And this is how I generally paint with like a lot of layers and slow forms and shapes coming at the viewer. And this is, you know, a very, very layered painting. So in each of these panels, it says the chosen. And then in Hebrew, it has, it, it talks about the Jewish people. So here is the chosen in the background, which is kind of muted with lots of layers. And this says in Hebrew, Am Yisrael. This says B'nai Yisrael, which is the children of Israel. Am Yisrael is the people of Israel. Eretz Yisrael, which is the land of Israel. And this is Medinat Yisrael, which means the state of Israel, which signifies the Jewish people, the state, the children, the land, and the people of Israel. These are playing with color again, but mainly more playing with layer and kind mm -hmm. of that movement of space, which I've always really been interested in too. But again, these, this, these works is new. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I might throw them all out because I'm so uncomfortable about it, but, you know, we'll see. Well, I love hearing you talk about it. It really adds so much to the visuals. I, 
I would think that attending one of an artist talk once you're ready to have these in the galleries would be a really rewarding experience for anybody who had the pleasure of being there. So I look forward to that coming to fruition. Thank you. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed speaking with you all. This podcast was edited and transcribed by Joanna Hersey, and our theme music was composed by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves!